have the Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roller with us today, Adam Rank. How are you doing, Rank? It looked great in person, and I uh, just can't wait to next year where we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guy's day. It was being ranked. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast presented by the Fantasy Points Media Group. And this is episode number 119 on the show about nothing, the show that covers everything. And as always, I am joined with my host this week, Major Caldwell. How are you doing today, Major? I'm good, man. I'm excited for this show. Let's go. And speaking of that show, on today's show, we welcome a man who has been writing for the Vikings and the NFL for eight years, specializing in deep dive analysis using both film and analytics to break down the most pressing questions surrounding the team. You may also recognize his work from the LA Times, Forbes, MSNBC, The Bleacher Report, and of course, The Athletic, where he's been since 2018. Please welcome Arif Hassan to the show. How are you doing, Arif? That was quite the walk-up. Wow. I'm good, man. How are you? Hey, I'm glad we finally got this kind of kickstarted here. I mean, we've been trying to get you on the show here for another couple of years, and we just hit you at just the right time because it is legal tampering season in the National <laughs> Football League right before NFL free agency. And we're seeing all kinds of things go down, including uh, the Dallas Cowboys, Denver Broncos, Gregory Saga, is he, isn't he, is he? Maybe some wording on the language, then it comes to mm-hmm. the CBA, maybe some dirty pool by the agent. But hey, that is what legal tampering is all about. We should know this by now. We've seen this. Eric Kendricks is a good example. I think a couple of years ago, he had a very similar situation to what we're seeing with Gregory. He was a jet for about 30 seconds and then kind of came actually, it was back. Anthony Barr. It was the other Anthony UCLA Barr, linebacker the other that linebacker. played for the Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're very familiar with how this kind of shakes out there. And so mm-hmm. are Minnesota Vikings fans here. And of course, like I said, You've been covering the Minnesota Vikings for about eight years now, so you are our inside guy when it comes to the Vikings, especially over at The Athletic, who basically have an all-star team across the country covering all your favorite teams. And, hey, up here in Canada, if you want to get yourself a little bit of a three-month subscription to that, roll up the rim with Tim Hortons because I rolled up the rim and I got myself a three-month subscription to The Athletic. Or you can go ahead, and I think they got like dollar days going on down there for one month. You get a dollar, so so on and so forth. So little shout out to the athletic before we kick off the show. Whoo! Got some energy here, kicking off. Got my coffee, ready to go. I, I see, <laughs> I see. It's gonna be one of those coffee shows. Let's go. Yeah. So if you are not aware what the coffee show is, it is slow your podcast down right now. I know lots of people like to play their podcast at one and a half speed. Do not do that. I'm telling you right now. It's going to sound like Elvis Chipmunks, but baritone style. It's not going to be a pretty thing. You see, I can't even speak properly right now. I'm already going at one and a half, two. But, hey, let's get into some of the news and notes here from around the league. And let's kick off with the Kirk Cousins extension. There was rumors about Deshaun Watson possibly going there at some point. Some other quarterbacks related to the Minnesota Vikings situation. Arif, what do you know on Kirk Cousins? And kind of how did we get there? Because, you know what, Kirk Cousins... I'm sorry, Vikings fans. You guys are too hard on the guy. He's a good player right now. And when you look around the National Football League and you look around the the draft this year, are you going to find a quarterback better than Kirk Cousins right now? Arif, is this maybe why the Vikings are like, 
yeah, it ain't good out there right now. Yeah, I, I think that's got to be part of it. I think that. Uh, so the issue is, I've been a, I've been a critic of Kirk Cousins for quite a while. There's a lot of pieces that I've written up at the Athletic that you can look at that criticize kind of his level of play and the and, and his style of play in terms of what it can bring um, to the Vikings when they try to make a playoff push or or push for a Super Bowl win. Uh, and in that context, he can be a very frustrating quarterback. But in terms of you know how good of a quarterback he is compared to you know most other quarterbacks. You put him on a level playing field. You play him against each other. Um, I, I would say that he's you know maybe about tenth or something like that. And uh, the extension that the Vikings offered him lowered his cap hit from forty five million dollars this year to thirty one point five million dollars, thirty one point four something like that. Um, so that that saved about fourteen million dollars against the cap. And though if you look up like the cap rankings, he's like fifth or sixth. I think just generally speaking, if you get a top 10 quarterback for about 15% of the cap, you're in a good spot. I think that that's actually um, a, a good deal kind of in a vacuum. Um, I think that most teams would be in a good spot uh, allocating 15% of the resources to a quarterback that's generally speaking like top eight. It kind of depends. You know, if Tom Brady had retired, you know, it would have moved him up the rankings a little bit, would have looked a little bit better. But um, given how weak the NFC is, you know, maybe there are some opportunities there, right? Especially because there's only basically two quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Um, so that that kind of makes things a little bit easier to swallow. Um, it does commit the Vikings a little bit longer to Kirk Cousins. Plus, you know, when his contract is up, which is in 2024, essentially, the Vikings have to because the way the void years work and the way you spread out the signing bonuses and all that, the Vikings will have to take on twelve and a half million dollars in dead cap space for a year that he's not going to be there. Um, so that's the cost of lowering the cap, essentially, is that you get you get Kirk Cousins at a more reasonable cap number. Um, but the, the question really is, if you can build a team around Kirk Cousins, that'll be enough for him to take it, you know, into the Super Bowl and win. And and that one is a, a very concerning one for me, because the Vikings had a number of players, not just Justin Jefferson, but a number of players under contract that were on rookie contracts um, that could overperform really substantially. Then I wouldn't really mind it as much. But the problem for me is you need him to be the best quarterback on the field for consecutive games in the playoffs. And in the playoffs, those quarterbacks are better, right? Now, when you have a quarterback that's about as good, say like Matthew Stafford, it's about as good as Kirk Cousins. Matthew Stafford is is so, I don't care, that there are some days that he's going to be the worst quarterback on the field when the 20th, 20th best quarterback is opposite him and the best quarterback on the field when the third best quarterback is opposite him, right? right. He's volatile. And so he can turn in some really high-level performances. That's kind of why Eli Manning ended up with a couple of runs. He was not you know, uh, I would argue a top five quarterback during his run, but there are days that he is. I don't know that Kirk Cousins has those days. So that's my issue is that he's a very consistent quarterback, which is good in terms of getting you to the postseason. But if he is who he is, once you get there at the end, I don't know that he can, you know, play against say uh, a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers and necessarily just be the best quarterback on the field. So that's kind of the question that Vikings fans are kind of dealing with. Plus, you know, is it time to move on? The roster's a little bit old. They, they've been like about 500 over the last two seasons. Is it time to kind of blow it up? What are we doing? So that's kind of what's surrounding it. But I think in a vacuum, that's not a bad deal, getting a quarterback of that talent for $31.5 million. I like both those comparisons of Matthew Stafford and Eli Manning. And they both had some pretty good magical runs in the playoffs. Stafford last year, Eli that one year. I think they were number one and number two in Post single season postseason passing, what we seen from Matthew Stafford this year and Eli Manning uh, a few years back, I think it was on the second Super Bowl run. Now, I think this is, this one year extension is you're our quarterback right now. You're not our forever quarterback. Mm -hmm. 
There's nothing out there right now that really catches our eye. Kellen Mond is probably not quite ready there. I know Vikings fans want to see him a little bit more. He kind of got a bum deal with some of the other quarterbacks that got a little bit of run ahead of him here last year. How far out do you think Kellen Mond is right at this moment? Yeah, this is going to be a really critical offseason for him because if, if the Vikings do decide to re-sign Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond can't beat him out in his second year as a quarterback with an offensive-minded coach with a pretty good, probably, quarterback. I mean, I guess I don't know for sure, but probably a pretty good quarterback coaching staff around him. Uh, that, that's probably it for him if he can't beat out Sean Mannion. I'm not saying he has to prove that he's a starting quality quarterback by year two, but, you know, Sean Mannion is not a super high bar to beat. Right. I understand a third round rookie not beating that bar, entering the NFL, learning a new offense, learning a new style of play, probably being forced to adjust your footwork, uh, your throwing mechanics and all that. Um, everything's a little bit faster. His tempo was off in training camp, which is why he ended up being the third quarterback on the roster. Um, I get that. You know, I, I think that a lot of quarterbacks that get drafted in the middle rounds, if they do end up having starting talent, you know, sometimes it takes a while for that to show up. Not everyone's a Dak Prescott or a Russell Wilson. So that makes it. Kirk Cousins is actually a really good example of that. So uh, th that makes sense, I think. But I think by year two, you should be able to beat out, you know, some some mid-tier backup quality quarterbacks. And so that's what we're, we're, we're probably going to see. And right now, I, you know, we haven't seen anything that indicates that he will. Like I said, you know, that's not, you know, a sign that he won't, right? I, I don't think that we need to be pessimistic about him, but he hasn't shown anything that demonstrates that he's good enough. I mean, he had three passes all year, right? Or I guess three snaps, I should say, two passes all year, both in the Green Bay game because Kirk Cousins got COVID, so Sean Mannion had to play, missed a couple of snaps because there was an injury scare. Kellen Mond comes in, throws two or three passes. One of them should have been a pick six, right? And that's the sample that we have, um, the, a dropped pick six from a linebacker. Um, and it kind of showed up when he was in training camp in the preseason. He just wasn't ready. So uh, we're going to kind of have to see if, if he can do that otherwise. And I wouldn't be shocked if it happened this year, but you know, next year makes a little bit more sense because you've got that extra year of the, uh, of the crew cousins contract. Um, they might draft a quarterback to try and develop or compete with Kellen Mond because that, I, you know, you don't have a future at quarterback right now. Yeah. When you look at this draft class coming in, I don't know. There's a big gap between what Kellen Mond can give you and what we're seeing right now. I mean, in the years past, we've seen quarterbacks that, okay, he's number one, overall pick number two overall pick we're not talking about that right now we're like okay Malik Willis he may go number nine he may go number six Kenny Pickett same thing but I'm looking at this right now I'm looking at my draft rankings from last year where Kellen Mond kind of was I'm looking at what I got now I'm like there's not much of an upside to make only selection especially if you're going to have to use a first round pick on one of these guys when you've already got Kellen Mond already in the building now so it's safe to say the Vikings are probably not going to be drafting a quarterback at least on the first few rounds at least in this draft what are some of the players positions that they're kind of targeting? What are you hearing there in Minnesota? And if they're not targeting the draft, what kind of free agency rumors are we hearing right now for the Vikings? Who are they in on? Who are they not in on? What do they need to do this offseason? Sure. Yeah. If you take a look at uh, who played the most snaps uh, on defense for the Vikings last year uh, at cornerback, you ended up with Pat Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, <clears throat> and Bashad Breland with, uh, with Cameron Dancer, second year player um, right, right after them. Um, all three of those players I just named are gone, right? They, they're free agents or actually Bashad Breland was cut, but he would have been a free agent anyway. So they don't have a starting cornerback on the roster. Now, if they're lucky, Cameron Dancer can develop into that guy. I'm a little skeptical of that happening, but that's certainly that that's a possibility, but that still leaves two cornerbacks that you need to, you need to have on your roster. And so, you know, they haven't signed as far as I know, as of this recording, they haven't signed a cornerback um, to the roster. So they need two. And I think that has to come in one of the first two rounds. I, I think that you absolutely need to get that cornerback. 
Also, as you're switching to a new system, a 3-4 system, um, you probably want to find ways to generate pressure, especially because all the guys that they have in the middle are run stuffers. I mean, they just signed Harrison Phillips. They let go of Michael Pierce, but Harrison Phillips is primarily a run stuffer. Dalvin Tomlinson, who's going to be playing next to him, is primarily a run stuffer. Um, you know, the, the best backup uh, tackle that they have is probably Armand Watts. He's a run stuffer. Right. And so you probably need to generate some pass rush alongside Daniel Hunter. So I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up with a pass rusher of some sort, whether that's an edge rusher, which seems a little bit more likely. Maybe that comes in the first two rounds or maybe and this seems a little unlikely, but certainly in the realm of possibility, um, some kind of interior defender that you can play in a three, four defense. Right. Somebody who's going to play, you know, th you know, defensive end would be a defensive tackle in most systems. And so I think that that's going to be the, the most likely scenario is that they'll end up going on defense, probably a cornerback of some sort. Um, and then there are other areas of the roster that you need to fill out. Like, I don't think they have an answer at one of the guard spots, um, or one of the center spots, honestly. So there's, there's two interior players that you, you really need to, um, you really need to fill out that might occur in the first couple of rounds as well. But I, I would think that because they have a big need at cornerback that they need two players there, as opposed to one player, at guard, one player, at center, one player, at edge rusher, et cetera. I think that you would likely find a, a cornerback going, um, probably before any other position, unless that position ends up being pretty barren. We've seen a little bit of an exodus of corners in the recent years there from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. uh, some going to Cincinnati, some out of the league for a year. Uh, Jeff Gladney looks like he's already talking with the Arizona Cardinals here this little this offseason here as a potential landing spot. So I think I, they lost, what, two, three, three last year via free agency? And then obviously Jeff Gladney as well. Yeah, so um, they, they lost three cornerbacks in a row, and then they lost three cornerbacks in a row again. Or rather, they started new players again. So... Um, they lost Xavier Rhodes. He went to the Indianapolis Colts that year. They lost Trey Waynes. He went to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals that year, but was injured, didn't get to play. Uh, and then Mackenzie Alexander, who went, I believe, to the Bengals also as well. Uh, I'm not super confident in that one. Um, and so they didn't have them. Uh, and the three stars that they had uh, included, you know, Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler, as well as, you know, like Chris Boyd and some other kind of back of the roster guys, you know, people that aren't even in the league anymore, like Chris Jones. Um, Chris Jones, the cornerback. Um, which you know is not a very common name, I think. Um, but uh, that was not acceptable to the Vikings. So then they signed, you know, Patrick Peterson. They re-signed Mackenzie Alexander, um, and then they signed Bashad Breland to start. And now all those guys are gone. So if you take a look at who started games for the Minnesota Vikings over the past three years, you end up with probably eight different players with Mackenzie Alexander showing up two two non-consecutive years. Um, that's wild to me. Starting game one. Um, you end up with like eight or nine different names and players like, you know, Holton Hill, who who isn't in the league anymore, as far as I can tell. And if he is, he's certainly not competing for a starting job. Um, that's that's a pretty rough spot to be in, especially because the pri prior defensive regime was run by a guy that was essentially a defensive backs coach that, he, you know, he takes credit for like Roy Williams in Dallas and Deion Sanders in Atlanta. You know, this is a guy that that has done a really good job developing fifth and sixth round picks and starting quality safeties like Georgia Loca. Right. You know, he's the guy that developed Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. And so for that defense, which is fairly dependent on cornerbacks to just not have guys, um, was pretty devastating. And it turns out those guys weren't good enough. So they needed to get a new set of guys. But all those guys signed one year contracts. And so they're no longer on the team. Uh, they could re-sign, you know, Alexander or Peterson. Right. That seems well within the realm of possibility. But that that just is going to be a glaring need for the Vikings until they can lock down a long term contract at that position. Yeah, when it comes to the Vikings, though, all the stuff you said is amazing. There's only one question. Will we finally get that Irv Smith <laughs> Jr. breakout? 
Yeah, this is a fantasy podcast. I should talk a little bit more about that. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that there's that possibility. Uh, and I know that I'm, I'm like copping out essentially. I'm hedging my bets with that kind of statement. But the reason um, that I'm curious is you take a look at tight ends with his draft pedigree and his history over the past, you know, two, three years. And you think there's not a huge likelihood of breakout. I think historically, you know, players of this profile, you know, they usually see the field and they usually perform a little bit better than he has. Right. Um, obviously injury plays a huge role. He didn't get to see the field at all um, this last year, but you know, generally speaking, you, you're not going to see um, a late breakout from a tight end uh, in, in that capacity. You would have seen something, maybe not like 500 yards, but you would have seen something. Right. Um, I think that the reason that you can be a little bit more optimistic about Irv Smith though, is because um the Vikings themselves, and I can basically just report this, the Vikings are excited about what Irv Smith can bring. The new coaching staff thinks that there are some ways to use Irv Smith um, that better fit his skill set than, than what he's been used as. And, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. He doesn't. He never struck me as a traditional tight end. Um, he's, he's obviously a little bit shorter. He's obviously much faster, but he's not very agile. And that actually shows up in his testing scores. He's like three cone and short shuttle are, are like pretty awful. Um, and his 40 yard dash was the fastest in his class, I think. Um, and, which is why everyone was so excited about him in the first place. And when you look at what he was doing at Alabama, it was very much, let's take advantage of the speed. You know, there's some times where he has to turn a corner, like when he is for some reason, you know, the, the, the sweep and the fly sweep, you know, that's, that's fun. Right. But, you know, primarily, you know, he's a seam stretcher. He's making sure the defenses can't play too high safety. He's going to run up the middle in a, in a lot of ways, like the way Vernon Davis was used in, in San Francisco or the way Jordan Reed was used in Washington. Um, you know, bring guys that that feel like they can use a particular type of tight end in a very specific way instead of drafting a guy that you think is good and then having him do tight end stuff. Right. Figure out what he's good at and have him do that stuff. Right. And I think that that's the way the Vikings are approaching Irv Smith this year. Um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. It really depends on what Tyler Conklin's market is. He's hitting free agency. Um, it might be dif difficult for the Vikings to re-sign him because we saw the deal that Ian Thomas got with the Panthers, one that I think no one understands. Uh, <laughs> and and I, if, I, if I'm, a, you know, an agent of a potential starting quality tight end like Tyler Conklin, um, I'm looking at that deal and saying, yeah, no, absolutely not. There is no way an agent is going to beat me on Ian Thomas for someone like Tyler Conklin. We are getting a better deal than what Ian Thomas got. I'm going to 30 other teams. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go to the Panthers to see if they want to pay Tyler Conklin more than they paid Ian Thomas, you know, like, so I think it'll be tough to re-sign him. But if that's the case, if it's difficult to bring him back, then Irv Smith is basically the, unless they draft a guy, which I already mentioned, they've got a couple of draft needs to be difficult. Um, plus the tight end class at the top is whatever it's got. It's very deep. But, you know, at the top of the draft, it's it's not, you know, spectacular. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's just going to be a lot of opportunity available, um, especially because the, this is an offense that if you track it kind of through the Rams and and just historically um, what, what Sean McVay does is that they do like to have the one tight end. You know, they played a lot more two tight end last year and, you know, it was a Super Bowl run. It was not a nothing year. Right. But um, they do like to play a lot of one tight end and feature that one tight end along with three receivers. The Vikings are constructed a little bit differently, so we're going to see some different stuff, but that tight end is usually a big part of the offense. Yeah, we're going to find out if even Thomas has that Christian Kirk uh, uh, agent here right now as we hit into the offseason. <laughs> we know the NFL has probably done this better than any sport out there in eliminating the offseason, especially this year. This has been more active than I can remember. And we, we go from, before we get into legal tampering, which we will here in a second, we got to get into the trade season because we got some new faces 
in new places via trade. And I just want to ask you about four players here right now who have been traded and just kind of a quick two-minute thoughts on how this affects the teams that they're going to and how this affects them moving forward. And starting off with uh, Russell Wilson going from the Seahawks to the Denver Broncos in a deal that I actually think works better for Seattle than it does for Denver long-term. It really depends on what you think uh, was the cause of Russell Wilson's underperformance this last season, for sure. Um, I think that it was probably injury-related. I think, you know, they mentioned a finger injury and stuff like that. It seems like that might be important. Um, I, I think that fundamentally Russell Wilson is a good quarterback. And if, you know, if that's the case, right, like obviously he has shown in the past that he's a top-five quarterback and and you end up with like very weird statistics like – he has like fewer MVP votes than like Bobby Wagner. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, like it's, it's, it's kind of wild, but you know, he is a top, he has been a top five quarterback for most of his career. I don't think that that's that disappeared. I don't think it's solely reliant on his ability to generate yards after scrambles and, and, and being an athletic quarterback. I think he's got that in them. Right. And, and I think that, you know, going to a really talented receiving core, even after losing to a fan, going to a really talented receiving core and probably a better offensive line, I think that he's in a really good spot. So I think that that's going to be good. The issue from a winning perspective is that you're now like in the most insane division in football. Like I, I don't know if I can think of a time when a quarterback as good as Derek Carr was the worst quarterback in, in the division. And it's probably not close. Uh-oh. Right? <laughs> Uh-oh. I think I think you just messed up, man. Like you well, know, that's, like that's you Matt's mentioned, guy. Bobby Wagner with more MVP votes than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has the fewest MVP votes in that division. Well, I guess Justin Herbert hasn't got one yet, but you know Justin Herbert's going to get that He's MVP vote. Yeah. I'm just saying, Derek Carr is the second most MVP votes in that division. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know it was coming. I no, know Derek, Carr's coming. A good, Derek Carr's a good quarterback, but you can't convince me he's better than Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. You can't. You cannot do it. Uh, I, you know what? So- the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Last year, I mean, he wasn't quite above them, but he was right there. I mean, all, you have three quarterbacks that were in the passing in the. Well, top he wasn't five, above them, so he's not better than them. No, exactly. <laughs> much respect, much respect Thank you. Logic. Thank you. See, that's how logic works, Matt. That's how logic no, works. You don't understand logic, Major. Don't worry I've about it. I've been trying to do this Russell every Wilson, week. He... You have no idea. I've been trying to do this every week. Oh, my God. Thank but, you. Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, we we dog him a little bit there based on those numbers last year, those overall numbers. But we don't, we're not seeing is those yards per attempt, yards per reception. He was actually right up there with guys like Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes when he averaged that out through the whole season. Was it the finger that affected him? Probably a little bit. But for me, Russell Wilson, he's not running the way he used to be, and that's where he had the most success. Does he get back to that in Denver? We'll see how that goes. Now, speaking of guys who are going, we watched Carson Wentz go from Indianapolis to Washington, and Indianapolis still doesn't have a quarterback. That should tell you all you need to know about Carson Wentz (laughs) and the situation there. Uh, Quickly, uh, Carson Wentz, just touch on that. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see who who Indianapolis technically has on their roster at quarterback right now. Uh, I'm I was going to say it was an upgrade regardless of the name that you said, but actually now I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> By the way, Sam Ellinger is treading on sleeper app right now. If you're looking for that free agent. I'm about to go pick him up uh, right now. One of the only Texas quarterbacks to not be considered at some point to tight end. Really, really fantastic stuff. Good point. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I boy, uh, I don't know if there's, uh, the winner in the trade, obviously, I think, is Indianapolis, even though they're not going to end up having a quarterback. But like, I That's cannot. So bad. 
I cannot think of like a more appropriate team for Carson Wentz to go to than Washington. Because A, it's in division, right? So you've got like, or in the division that he used to be in. So you've got like all of this hilarious drama. Cowboys fans can continue dunking on Eagles fans for the quarterback that they don't even have on their roster anymore. They can they can dunk on Washington fans. Yeah, I, I think that that's really just wonderful. Yeah, just in terms of how funny it is. Um, but also, like, you're clearly the most dysfunctional organization in the NFL, a, a league not known for functional organizations. Like, that. that's wonderful to me. And then Carson Wentz, everywhere he's gone, he's left, like, trails of broken dreams. So he creates dysfunction and... I just I, I I'm so excited to see how that breaks down because there are so many great people covering, you know, the Washington Commanders that, you know, a couple of years after the fact, we're going to hear some phenomenal stories about what Carson Wentz and Dan Snyder been been up with and what poor Jason Wright and Ron Rivera have to deal with, like trying to tread water there. So um, absolutely great news for me personally, a guy who writes about sports, probably not wonderful news for Washington. <laughs> I love this one because I compared this kind of move and Carson Wentz to kind of like a family kind of or kind of breaking up a little bit there and the dog not knowing which way to go. But luckily, luckily, because Carson Wentz, he gets to play both Indianapolis and Philadelphia this year, three times between the two teams. Beautiful. The Colts and the Eagles are still going to be able to catch passes from Carson Wentz this year, which is absolutely (laughs) fantastic. Now, we mentioned that arms race in the AFC in the AFC West there, we talk about Russell Wilson go. We see teams loading up on everything in that AFC West. Well, the Chargers got in there too, and they got themselves Khalil Mack, who I find this funny because two players we're going to talk about here being traded are both former Oakland Raiders, who both were traded in 2018, literally two months apart from one another, and now they were traded like two days apart from one another. Watch first Khalil Mack going from the Bears to the Chargers, and then Amari Cooper going from the Dallas Cowboys to the Cleveland Browns. Just kind of some quick uh, hit on both those guys real quick, if you would, man. Yeah, so pairing somebody with uh, with Joey Bosa, that is uh, really just beautiful, right? Okay, yeah, we're on the same page here. Yeah. Um, that, that, I think, is great. The fact that they were able to sign J.C. Jackson, who was probably the top oh, player on the market. Yeah. Uh, just like period, uh, that's, that, that's going to be great because, you know, the Chargers obviously they've got a lot of potential on offense. We'll see kind of what happens with Mike Williams, but you know, they've got a ton of potential on offense. They want a defense that keeps up, uh, and, and being able to do that, um, is, is just going to make that team actually competitive with, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, I think that, I, that, that division just seems so fun, right? Like how, how was Patrick Mahomes shut down? in the Super Bowl. He was shut down with a pass rush. Now, obviously, you know, having just an abysmal offensive line due to injury played a really big role in that. But the functional result is that it was a ton of pass rush pressure. What do the Chargers do? They get a bunch of pass rush pressure, and then they make sure that, you know, Mahomes just cannot get rid of the ball quickly by getting somebody like J.C. Jackson. I I love it. And then you get like a versatile piece like Derwin James. He's one of the best blitzing safeties in the NFL. You've got all kinds of options. I mean, Cleo Mack, you know, um, a lot of people got really mad at Oakland when, when Cleo Mack was asked to drop back in coverage. And I totally, totally understand, right? Because he is more valuable rushing the passer, but he can cover like for a, for a linebacker, like at any inside linebacker, it doesn't, he can cover, right? Which is the nuts thing to me. And if you do these replacement blitzes with Derwin James and, and have Cleo Mack drop back just a little bit, you can create some really wonderful confusion and still not sacrifice, you know, what you've got going on in the back end. So I think that the Chargers are doing some, 
really, really interesting stuff. You got a, a pretty good defensive mind of Brandon Staley kind of running things and making sure that the pieces that he has can do what he wants. So um, that, that I think is pretty wonderful. Now, Amari Cooper to the Browns. I think that Cooper is a very talented receiver. I also thought that Odell Beckham was a very talented receiver. <laughs> uh, <laughs> both of them have some rumors with uh, in terms of their ability to kind of meet with a, a locker room, especially a locker room that's underperforming, right? And so you need to make sure that your locker room is great. And the Browns tried to do that. I mean, having somebody like Jarvis Landry in your locker room, who's friends with Odell Beckham, who is a remarkable locker room leader, still couldn't keep that pipe down. Like you still couldn't figure that out. And so your quarterback needs to be a really good leader in order for that to happen. Baker Mayfield's really good at commercials. That's uh, like, he's phenomenal. I love his commercials, right? Yeah, uh, but Baker Mayfield's never I, been compared to Kirk Cousins. <laughs> That's a fake tweet. That's a fake tweet. It's <laughs> a fake tweet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great tweet. It's wonderful. We should enter it into the canon. I'm fine assuming that it's true, but <laughs> I just got to get it out there. No, yeah. Uh, so, so Amari Cooper is, uh, he's, he's more likely to do stuff like run the routes that are assigned to him, run them at the right depths at, at the right precision. But I think that that is sometimes an overrated trait. I mean, Chad Ochocinco also did not run quote unquote, the right routes with the right precision. And in some offenses, like with the Patriots offense, that just wasn't a good fit. But in most offenses, you find a way to get, find the guy that's open and throw it to him. Right. Like even, even your timing oriented West coast style quarterbacks like Joe Burrow can figure out like, Hey man, Jamar Chase is doing some weird stuff. Let's see what happens here. <laughs> and it works. Like, so you just got to figure it out. Right. And, and if your excuse is that my receiver is getting open all the time, but the wrong way, <laughs> I don't know. So, so, so I don't know that somebody who's getting open the right way, Amari Cooper is necessarily going to be that much more of a boost for that offense. Um, but my hope is is kind of similar to the Russell Wilson situation that Baker Mayfield has been dealing with a shoulder issue, non-throwing shoulder, but you know he had to wear a harness basically the entire year. Um, and that really tanked his performance in a big way. And I think that explains more of what happened than anything involving locker room discord or anything involving, you know, Baker Mayfield suddenly falling off despite playing in the same system. You know, obviously the offensive line was really, really remarkable two years ago, but last year it wasn't, you know, up to the same standard. Um, but it was still a good offensive line. So I think that the hope is that it was an injury-related issue for Baker Mayfield. And if that's the case, Amari Cooper is going to produce really, really well. But, but Mayfield is a guy that is striving to be as good as Kirk Cousins, and that is a very weird spot to be in. And that's leaving yeah, the door open for? Well, Watson. we'll get there. We'll get... <laughs> talk, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Cooper coming, obviously that meant the end of Jarvis Landry, but was that a prelude to Deshaun Watson? We'll see. He met with the team. Who knows what's going on there? We won't get into that until we can get into that. But what we can get into is a quarterback who earned himself a good whopping two-year $14 million contract with incentives and all that other stuff that could go up to $28 million. And that is Mitch Truth Bisky or Mitch no. Pitsky or whatever you want to call it. You can throw a pit right in there and Trubisky and it all still works out well. I'm a truther just because it drives everyone else insane. Yes. Let's Arif, Mitch Trubisky, Deontay Johnson. What can we expect? Dive into the <laughs> analytics on this one. <laughs> and, and that is it. We have some hey, that was hey, that was one of your funniest jokes. I've never seen a reaction like this. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
We got to find out who lines up on the left side of the field. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then we got to and then we got to buy into the other guy. Uh, that's that's the key. Um, I was looking into the Deontay Johnson chase Claypool breakdown, see which one lines up on the left side, which one, because we all know that that's the most important analytic with Mitch Trubisky, a quarterback, right? And so I was trying to figure out who lines up on the left more often, who lines up on the right more often. And unfortunately, like most offenses, it's not like the Arizona offense. They do switch around a lot. And so you won't be able to predict from game to game who lines up on the right side more often. So uh, there's not, there's not a secret hedge there to try and find the right side of the receiver for Mitch Trubisky. Um, so you're just going to have to figure out kind of the matchups based off of, you know, who you think the Pittsburgh Steelers want to target at cornerback. You know, that that's maybe your best opportunity. The thing that gets me, though, is what was his last deal with Buffalo? It was like one year, two million or something like that. It probably wasn't yeah. two, but like, course, I don't know how yeah, he goes from much. that to 14 without doing anything that <laughs> boggles my mind. <laughs> like, like when Chase Daniel signed like this great backup contract, I want to say with the Eagles from the Saints, um, that was weird, but like, I kind of got it right. Cause he wasn't like being asked to start. They were just like, Hey, you've got this great reputation as this whiteboard guy, the sideline guy, you can help a quarterback out. Um, you know, you've earned that reputation. We've been hearing, you know, Sean Payton or whoever rant about how good you are. So we're just going to sign you to do that. Fine. But like the, nothing happened with Mitch Trubisky this year that like demonstrated that he could start. That is buck wild to me that I don't understand, but you know, Hey, you know, Pittsburgh, we know they make good decisions at quarterback over the past three years. Certainly that's, they haven't made one misstep there. So just have to well, trust the process. I don't know what the analytics is on this, but I'm pretty confident. Even Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, when you factor in money per passing, I think Chase Daniel actually makes more money per pass than any other quarterback in the National Football League. I think the number is like $150,000 per pass is what he's made in that's his career. Amazing. Don't don't I'm fact check that. me, but I'm pretty confident that's right up there. But speaking I'm, I'm going to need money, to see the Matt Flynn numbers too. That's, that's going to be important ooh, as well. That would be right up there. But speaking of making money and not actually doing anything to get it, how about the number three paid wide receiver in the national football league christian kirk heading down to jacksonville not only is he getting paid like 84 million but that's all tax free that bag is secured right Move now on, baby do we do we see the jag i know they're throwing cash out there i'm like they've let go miles jack they've moved some good players in my opinion lavisca chanel do they just hate him like what did, what did lavisca chanel do to anybody there like he ticked off urban Meyer, he ticked off doug peterson already for peterson's there you got zay jones You've got Marvin Jones. You got Christian Kirk there as your trio of wide receivers in Duval County. I, I think the the goal for the Jaguars is just just get Trevor Lawrence figured out. Do whatever you can to help him out. Nothing else matters, right? And I think that that's it. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed another receiver for like twenty million dollars a year. They're just like, look, we just got to get guys here, man. We'll, we'll figure it out in training camp. You know, we'll, we'll move Travis Etienne to receiver. We, we already tried that, right? He's fine. We can move him to receiver. Let's figure it out and get him enough targets that we can just know if he's good and know if he's fine and know that his mental health is being taken care of because these guys are getting open. So I, I think that that's really the idea there. Um, if you're a franchise that is coming out of like a, clown show uh season you you have to pay maybe a little bit more to get the guys that you want in the door um the jaguars already had a bunch of cap space they made some more cap space by releasing miles jack 
Um, and so they're playing with some money. Uh, and and I, I think that that's kind of what drove a lot of this. Now, as a percentage of the cap, you know, because the cap's always going up. We always talk like, hey, $21 million a year. That's like, that's crazy. And like it is. But as a percentage of the cap, when you take a look at it in terms of what the cap is this year versus the wide receiver deals that we're used to, it's not as bad as it sounds. It's still kind of nuts because like, has he had a 500 year, yard season yet even? Like, we yeah, shouldn't be asking these questions a times, for a $20 million yeah. receiver. Uh, can, do you think he can be a number one receiver? No. I think he can be <laughs> a good receiver. You didn't at least think about it a little bit, man. No. no. There's no pause there. You can't make me think about it. <laughs> There's nothing in your power that you can do but, to make me think about it. No. So, I think he could be a great two. I, I think that he's a really great complimentary receiver. I don't think he can run an offense through him. I don't know that they have a guy that he can run an offense through. Um, back when Marvin Jones was like really good, I think he was kind of like the secret underrated version of that guy, but never got right. an opportunity to because there's always this better, more dynamic receiver opposite him. But he's not going to be able to do that anymore. So um, I don't know that they've got a number one receiver. Um, I've seen a couple of offenses try to run through a bunch of number twos. It never looks great to me because it it, it relies on your offensive coordinator being better than the opposing defensive coordinator on every single play of every single game of the season uh, instead of just having a guy. Uh, and so it, it, take a look at the opposite. The Cincinnati Bengals have a plethora of ones, right? <laughs> they just have number ones. And the Bengals are like, yeah, fine. Who cares about the offensive line? We'll figure the rest out. <laughs> right. We have ones. So um, that's the concern for me is that you've got a bunch of really good receivers to have on a roster, but you don't have an offense yet, even though you've got a bunch of skilled players. So they, they still have to do some more. Uh, obviously, you know, re-signing Cam Robinson or franchising him or whatever they did with him. Um, is going to be part of that in terms of the offensive line, but they do need to do more along the offensive line. And I think they just need a guy, right? And so maybe LaVisca Chenault, you know, wins some camp battles or something like that. But, you know, he's the number three or four running back. He's the number five wide receiver. Um, he's going to have to prove that he can do a lot in order to get onto the field. So real quick here, rapid fire type, just give me a location where this guy's going to end up. I'm going to give you about three or four players here for fantasy football. Just so people can have an idea, because they're not anywhere yet. Starting off with Deshaun Watson, where does he end up? Uh, okay, I think that the Cleveland idea that you pitched was, I think Baker's time in Cleveland is essentially done. I think they're kind of sick of him. So I think Cleveland makes sense. Um, you kind of see that they might handle some off-field stuff with a with a, a little bit more leniency. You know, Kareem Hunt, I think, is a good example of that. Um, and, and maybe that kind of helps drive the decision on Deshaun Watson. Plus, you know, Wins wipe away a lot of memories, I think, is is what ends up happening on football teams, as regrettable as that is. So yeah, uh, that I, I don't think Deshaun Watson should be in the league, even though he was he wasn't charged. You know, I've got my thoughts, but uh, he is in the league. And so I have to deal with that reality. And I think it's probably going to be the Cleveland Browns. OK, what about Odell Beckham Jr.? Where's Man, I I'd, I'd love for him to go back to to the Rams. That'd be really cool. Um, I don't, if it hasn't happened yet, I don't think it's going to happen. So, um, from there, like, I don't know, there's like a lot of opportunities, right? Because I could find like a surprising, like, oh my God, he ends up on the Patriots. You, how does this personality deal with Bill Belichick? When we've been asking that question about players for the past 10 years, um, and, and half the time it just works out fine. Um, like Randy Moss with Bill Belichick, is that, is, are they going to be okay? Yes. Um, so I think, I think that that would be a pretty fine, um, spot plus Mac Jones, the way that he plays offense can work with what Odell Beckham does. So yeah, I'll just say the Patriots cause that's the first team that came to mind. Jarvis Landry. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. How about the Saints? They could use a receiver. They don't That's seem fun. particularly, uh, you know, into receivers that need to go deep downfield. Like I know, you know, Marquez Callaway and Kenny Stills have got, you know, but the offense has been built around these, 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 these slant boys, as you will, uh, and and having these underneath guys. And and I think forcing, I don't know, Jameis is going to be the quarterback forcing Jameis to consider what underneath options are available to him, understanding that the, there's a universe below 15 yards downfield. Uh, they might think that they can train him to, to play football. It will never happen. Way. It will never happen. You're 30, probably right. 20 yard bombs, 30 yard bombs, every play. How else are you going to keep up with Brady? Exactly. <laughs> and last but not least, Allen Robinson, where does he end up when it's all said and done? Oh, geez. <laughs> please, please say the Raiders, please say the Raiders. To make him happy. Hey, the Raiders are up to something. They've been too quiet. They, they, we don't know what's going on. You know they got to compete there. We don't know what they're getting on. I think it's corner for the Raiders first and foremost. But Allen Robinson, where's he ending up? Well, wherever he ends up, I think he's going to be overdrafted. That's that's my thoughts. <laughs> but I think he's cooked, man. I feel bad for him because he needs a good quarterback. Um, you know why not? Why not the Raiders? Right? You know they could they could use somebody to pair with Darren Waller, kind of a good play guy. Uh, you've got Hunter Renfro taking care of the underneath stuff. Uh, Allen Robinson can uh, help you in the red zone because Darren Waller is good at a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, but a red zone tight end, not the same thing, not the same thing. He's not bad at being a red zone guy, but um, you want a quality red zone guy. I think that, you know, the best of Allen Robinson uh, is probably found in the red zone now. So um, I think you can complement that offense, have threats at all three levels of the field. Um, Derek Carr is now much more comfortable using every blade of grass more than he used to be. And he can finally use the big arm that everyone at Fresno state loved him for. So um, yeah, that makes sense to me. Sure. Why not? Josh McDaniels <laughs> right. know how to use a player like him. All right. There you go. You got Alan Robinson going to go play with the hall of fame quarterback here in uh, 2022. So I said the uh, Raiders. Yeah. You did say the Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> We have obliterated our contractually obligated football talk this is the just longest. around the corner. We are going to go behind the grind with Arif Hassan here, and we're going to go a little bit deeper. Maybe not quite. We're going to go more analytical into his own personal life, what kind of bed sheets he uses, what kind of softener, all that kind of fun stuff in part two, just around the corner. But first, head over to FantasyPoints.com, enter promo code VIPERS22, get 10% off that subscription today. And hey, we'll be right back in just a few seconds. And welcome back to part two of this week's Dynasty Vipers Viper Cast, episode number 119, presented by the Fantasy Points Media Group. And joining us today as we go behind the grind is the one and only Arif Hassan from The Athletic. You want all your Vikings needs, everything possible, and the biggest Derek Carr fanboy that I know, he's got you covered there in the Great Lakes State there. So, but hey, this is this show here. This is the best part of the show. This is what everyone comes for to go behind the grind. Let's pull back the curtain on some of our favorite analysts and football media members and players. Hint, hint, wink, wink, coming down the line. We're going to go here. Reef, you ready? Yeah, why not? We're going to kick off this the best way we know how 
If you are coming in for the Minnesota Twins here in the bottom of the ninth, you're coming in to close this game out because we know they need a closer. And or you're coming to the WWE, you're coming down the ring in the WWE and you want some pop, the fireworks are going off. What is that song to introduce you to the people? Oh, geez. Okay, man. I've been going through my music lists a lot recently. Um, uh, this week, I think it's probably uh, Inside Out by Eve Six. They just followed me on Twitter. Uh, that's huge to me. 11 year old nice. me is losing his mind. Um, so I, I'm going to go with an Eve Six song. The most popular one is Inside Out. I don't think it's their best one, but in terms of like a pump up music, yeah, absolutely. I think Inside Out. Nice. Hey, uh, so you wanna... We're going to keep this up with the music here real quick. What's that one song on your iPod? Is it iPod still? Do people still listen to iPods? <laughs> no. MP3 no. players? Uh, no. Whatever that is. See, this is kind of, I'm still back in my space here. But what's that one song on your playlist there for music that probably shouldn't be on there that if your friends found out you were listening to, probably get you in a little bit of trouble? What's that one? What's that most embarrassing pleasure. song on there? Yeah. You got a little uh, bit like Taylor Swift in there or what? No, Taylor Swift's not a gift, guilty pleasure. Taylor Swift is just good music. <laughs> <laughs> That's come on. <laughs> uh, let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. Um, how oh, about um, "Welcome to the Black Parade" by My Chemical Romance? That's the guilty pleasure. That one. I uh, I went to a James Madison homecoming game. Full disclosure, not a James Madison alum. I just like them because they beat NDSU once in the national championship game, and I've become a lifelong fan. So I went to their homecoming game in Virginia, and uh, the band played uh, Welcome to the Black Parade at halftime. It ruled. And so uh, I've decided, yeah, fine. I'll just embrace it. I'm, I'm a My Chemical Romance fan. Gerard Way produced uh, the Umbrella Academy series, that, that TV show rules. So uh, now I'm an MCR guy. Nice um we we all know like sports are very important for all of us kind of growing up we all talk about sports um but did you play any sports as as a as a youngster and um and a second question to that is like who were some of your favorite teams who were some of your favorite players growing up yeah um so i primarily played soccer growing up i was a left fullback um and i thought i was pretty good but you know Every kid thinks that, right? So, uh, but I was my mom know, tells me I'm special all the time. Right? Today. Uh, it's a different kind of special, Matt. <laughs> yeah, my my parents were never particularly kind. I was surprised they showed up <laughs> to my game. Uh, <laughs> they're like, When does this end? All right, we'll come back then. Oh, <laughs> but, but, uh, favorite players growing up, uh, Brazilian left fullback Roberto Carlos, remarkable free kicker, excellent defender. I also was cheering for Liverpool growing up, which it sucks that I'm not as much of a Liverpool fan now because they can like win stuff now. Um, but growing up, they weren't doing a lot of that. Um, oh, they were winning games, but not leagues or cups. And uh, and I like Steven Gerrard a lot. So uh, those are the soccer players that I like. Uh, football, I didn't really get into football until college, actually, but I did play football. So I, I, I wasn't watching football, but I was a slot corner. I'm 5'4". There was really no other position I could play. <laughs> so I was a slot corner for my team. Uh, our team ran base defense a lot. <laughs> so I didn't end up on the field very, very often. And once uh, I was complaining to my coach, like, hey, you should put me on the field. Uh, the coach did not like getting lip from an eighth grader, which in retrospect, I understand. <laughs> and, and he's like, fine, you get to be put on the field and put me in at defensive end. And I oh got absolutely <laughs> smashed, flying everywhere. 
So uh, that's that's my football history. That, that I played football in eighth grade, and that's it. <laughs> so that, yeah, that coach really I, that coach really didn't like you at all. That that was a mean move on his part. <laughs> well, I was I was giving him lip, I guess. I don't know, but uh, that that's my football career. And then then in high school, I, I stopped playing sports. Uh, I started doing stuff like uh, speech and debate and chess club and stuff like that. Nice. You can tell because he speaks, reads, and talks a lot better than I do. I mean, none <laughs> of that experience. <laughs> Right. So you kind of mentioned getting your getting lit right up there at defensive end. What were some of your favorite sports memories growing up there? Like, do you remember? I don't know what to impose how old you might be, but do you remember those Minnesota Twins teams that went to the World Series and hearing about them, the Paul Molitor, the Kirby Puckett type days, or watching the, like what were some of those early sports memories that you kind of can recall? Those World Series Twins are just outside of my memory range. I was like four or five. And so um, I, I didn't really get to watch um, a particularly successful Minnesota franchise <laughs> um, at all. Uh, but I do remember uh, Gopher Women's Basketball with Lindsey Whalen uh, making a run until they were knocked out by UConn and Diana Taurasi. That was a ton of fun. Um, I remember uh, watching Brazil in the World Cup uh, in 1998, um, watching uh, Zinedine Zidane headbutt a guy that ruled i loved that actually <laughs> and then i find out he was like someone shouted a slur at him and i was like yeah absolutely 100 dude i'm <laughs> behind you i wasn't cheering for france at all but i got it um so that was cool uh i i remember watching uh kevin garnett and sam cassell doing the onions dance latrell sprewell um that playoff run getting knocked out by the lakers um you know i a lot a lot of really fun um memories like that i remember watching michael phelps in the olympics holy crap that was that was maybe the most fun I've ever had watching the Olympics, and I love the Olympics. I didn't get to watch very much this year um, for a bunch of other reasons, but like you know, I'll watch like curling, ice dancing, ice skating, um, swimming, track, steeple, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but Michael Phelps swimming that that was really remarkable too. So those are those are probably up there. Um, I love I love watching the World Cup. I loved when um, when uh in the women's world cup when the united states beat uh nigeria i think it was seven to one after nigeria scored the first goal uh and and the u.s women's soccer team was like absolutely not no way can't do it uh and they scored seven goals in response uh winning the final against china uh in overtime on penalty shootouts um some really fun moments yeah for sure just, I know you went to the University of Minnesota. You got to that. You're a golden gopher, I think, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of or a gopher now. I don't know if they still got the golden part. I'm not too sure. Yeah, it, it, what the are, mascot's name is Goldie. So yeah, no, for sure. All right, perfect, <laughs> perfect. I'm, I'm still on par. I, I still got my research. You got it. Still checks out. What are some of those crazy stories from your golden gopher days? Like, you remember? Like, how, how do you remember your college years? Was it like, did you just get a chance to storm the court during some of those basketball games? Like, were you that guy? Did you did tear down a goalpost. Like what, what are some of those crazy stories from Minnesota? So there's not a lot of reason to attend Gophers. <laughs> 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 Especially while I was there. And here's the problem. I grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota before I moved to Minnesota. And that means I'm a UND hockey fan, which means I cannot go to Gophers hockey games. So the one successful program they have, I hate, even though I'm attending the university of Minnesota. So that, that was out. Um, but also, I wasn't really able to to uh, you know go to uh, go to weekend games because every weekend I'm traveling because I'm on the debate team, and so my sports memories are like watching um, the 19 and one Patriots Super Bowl, right? Like we 
uh, we we're coming back from like the Augustana tournament. There's an insane amount of ice. We have to pull, we can't go all the way back to Minnesota. So we have to pull off on, onto the side of the road. And eventually we, we take an exit to, to check into a random hotel. There are ski lodges in Iowa. That's what I learned from that trip. Uh, and we checked into, uh, in Iowa hotel, we got the last two rooms, um, uh, us and, and the debate team from McAllister, uh, which is also in Minnesota. And uh, we we just in time to watch the Super Bowl. So someone went out for a beer run at the time. I didn't drink. So everybody else was drinking. I was the sober one. That was not a remarkable experience. But the fact that nine people drank 160 beers and no one died and we got to watch one of the greatest <laughs> Super Bowls of all time. That was an amazing experience and can really only happen in college. <laughs> I think there's a missed opportunity here. This story would be much better if there's only one room available and you guys had a debate over who got it. Now that <laughs> is a missed opportunity for a story right there. Major, what do you got next? Uh, can you talk about a decision other than like not, you know, dying from drinking all those uh, beers uh, that changed the trajectory of your life? Um, dropping out of college. <laughs> <laughs> You are getting some high-quality educational television tonight, people. Yes. Hey, that's the most honest answer we ever had. Uh, but go, can you dig a little deeper into Yeah, of that? course, of course, of course. Um, so, like I said, I was going to debate tournaments all the time. I didn't have a ton of time for class, and I also, you know, was dealing with some other stuff, and so I wasn't really great at, at attending classes and stuff like that. And the thing is, when you tell a professor, hey, I can't come to class because I'm on the debate team, they, like, understand. They're, like, fine with it. They're like, oh, yeah, he'll he'll figure it out. And then I just, like, wouldn't go to the rest of the classes either. <laughs> I was just not doing a great job at my job. Uh, but uh, I was really deeply interested in politics. I'd been doing work with a political organization at the time. Uh, and they offered me a full-time job. And I was like, well, your start date actually occurs before I graduate. And they were like, yeah, the degree's not important. And I was like, no, I'm out. <laughs> and so I just dropped out of college. Um, was that your senior year? or It was my or sixth junior? year of college. Oh, Cool. So you didn't really drop out like the six yeah, years. That's... Yeah. Well, okay. So the thing is, um, I, I switched majors like five or six times. Same. I, uh, um, I never ended up getting the requirements for any of those majors or for a generalized degree. So enough credits, right? You take classes like six years, you know, you get enough credits. Um, but never, n not enough to get a general degree, a, you know, a, a multidisciplinary, nothing. Right. And so I was just like, look, this college thing is not working out for me. I'm going to have to relearn German in order to pass anyway. <laughs> I'm out. There's nothing here for me. Um, and none of the jobs that I've taken since then have required a degree. And that's, you know, that's really wonderful for me. Obviously, it's not the path that, I, that everyone can take, right? It was the best path for me. Um, I did pretty well in that job in politics. I decided to quit that because I was working 80 hours a week uh, for less than minimum wage. Can't do that. Uh, and that's when I started uh, my sports writing career. And if I had, if I had graduated college with a degree, I would have taken a much more conventional path. And I don't know that I would be doing stuff that I love, um, which at first it was politics and then it was sports. Uh, and I'm, I don't think I would love for everybody to be able to make money doing what they love to do. I don't think that that's possible. So I consider it a blessing that I am able to do it. Right. And, and I, th I think it's, you know, a privilege and it's wonderful and I was only able to do it because I made some really stupid decisions and it just worked out. You heard it here yeah, first, was... ladies and gents, drop out of school. <laughs> like Hassan and Kanye both dropped out. Of work. <laughs> They're both successful. Like just drop out of school. Let's go. You heard it here first. 
I, I wanted to, I wanted to be a space cowboy, but they didn't really have any courses on that. And all you, all I could hear is when you said you like went to six years of college. The only thing that played through my head is Tommy Boy, where he's like, "I, I went to school for seven years." Yeah, people who go to seven years of school are doctors, and it's, it's not Tommy Boy. I mean, lots of people go to school for seven years. Yeah, they're called doctors. Hey, great That's, movie. That kind of played it through my great head movie. there. Yeah, classic. No, now, no, I, I didn't end up with a degree. <laughs> it's just. You, hey, that takes talent in itself, right there, to end up with that good guy. Right? So. It's, it's it's not that it's not that hard, man. Like I, I'm I'm in the same boat, but go ahead. So we we know there's no degree, there's no kind of uh, origin story here about talking about this journey. But you got on with the athletic here in 2018, I believe it was. You've been there for a few years now. You've obviously seen something. I mean, you've been covering the Vikings for eight years, so you've seen some things over the last eight years last three, four years there with The Athletic. What are some of the biggest changes now compared to when you first started in the media industry? Oh, man, um, there's a lot. Like, So it seems like that there are fewer sports writing jobs available now uh, than there were when I first started. Um, you know, we've seen a bunch of layoffs of sports writers over the years. We've seen, you know, uh, a bunch of local beats die because their newspapers have been bought out and, and, and then those newspapers die. Um, and so that's that's a, you know, a huge issue. How do you monetize... Uh, you know, the most monetizable, you know, news industry uh, and and make sure that that's a successful business model for you. Um, and that changes how sports writers write and that changes how sports writers tweet and it changes how sports writers think about sports. Uh, and so the struggle for me is to maintain relevancy without kind of losing um, my conscience, I guess, like without losing credibility, right? Without losing you know, what I consider to be important to write about, because, you know, when I write stuff, I want to make sure that what I'm, be I believe what I write and that I'm not just throwing hot takes out there. And also hot takes are incredibly monetizable uh, and they're incredibly um, popular and, and they can help you build your brand. Right. Um, and, and that's not new necessarily. I mean, that's been happening for a while, right? Like, you know, Skip Bayless was originally a columnist for the Dallas Morning News and actually wrote some pretty good stuff. And then he kind of rose up the ladder by figuring out kind of what played for him, right? And so, you know, writing a controversial book about Troy Aikman, you know, got him some more money, right? We, we saw this with Jay Mariotti too. You know, you find, you know, hot takes have always helped you in the sports industry, but they've been never been more vital. And that is a problem. And so for me, maintaining my credibility and maintaining uh, my integrity as a sports writer, making sure that when I do throw out a hot take, I believe it, right? Um, that, that has been kind of a, a difficult battle. I'm really lucky to be at The Athletic. That kind of encourages that environment where um, you get deep dives, where, you know, readers, uh, you don't get paid for click, right? You know, readers subscribe. And the thing is, at the end of every story, at least one reader is going to think, is that worth $1 a month? Is that worth $12 a month? <laughs> and so I can't just write nothing, right? And right. so I can't just put out a hot take. I can't. So um, I'm really lucky that I'm at a place that disincentivizes that behavior and it's still a successful business model. But that is the challenge, right? You have to get big. You have to find a following somewhere, whether it's on TikTok or Twitter or, or Instagram or whatever, right? And in order to do that, your incentives run opposite the direction of informing the people that follow you. So that's the most difficult thing. And I think that's one of the biggest changes that we've had because it is a hyper, hyper competitive industry. So is it safe to say that Governor Mark Dayton did not appreciate your hot takes there when you're working in politics? And <laughs> further that there a little bit. See, I'm educated. I got Look at that. Look at that. Nailed it. 
not not bad lucky. for Canadian. I, I I definitely understand my Southern Canadian brothers and sisters there in Minnesota. Southern They're Canadian. honorary Canadians down there in Minnesota, North Dakota, and all that fun stuff. Now, at what point did you realize that? You know what? I want I want to make covering sports a career. I want to I want to really push for that. Yeah, I mean that was tough. Um, it, it, it's weird, right? Because you you know that you're making an impact on the world when you work in politics and you're successful, right? Like I worked on a campaign to kick Michelle Bachman out of Congress, and though we didn't win that fight, she committed to resigning right afterwards because she knew she was going to lose to our candidate the next time that she ran. And I felt very good about that. You know, I lobbied, you know, A.B. Klobuchar. Uh, and Al Franken for environmental reforms. And sometimes that lobbying worked out. Um, you know, I, I did stuff that I consider to be very important. And so moving on from that was really, really tough. But also I knew that I could not continue at the pace I was doing. So if I wanted to do good in the world, it wouldn't have mattered anyway, because I would have burned out. And um, I actually had no idea what I was going to do. I was blogging about sports on the side. And, and primarily I was kind of annoyed at kind of the stuff I was hearing, not because it was good or bad or anything like that, but because nobody was doing any work to demonstrate that their claims were true, essentially, right? Like, you know, this is back like 2011, you know, a lot of people are talking about Cam Newton, you know, a bunch of people were dissing him, a bunch of people were propping him up. And, and I, I couldn't tell, you know, fact from fiction, I wasn't, you know, well informed enough about sports, but I, I heard one thing that really bothered me, that Cam Newton was a winner. That's undeniably true, right? You know, he's never lost a game from middle school all the way up to college, right? Um, his first loss in like 20 years was in the NFL, right? So he's definitely a winner, but how does that translate? And so I remember hearing that and thinking, you know, I don't know if Cam Newton's going to be a good back quarterback or a back quarterback, but if he's a good quarterback, it's not going to be because he won a lot in college. And so, uh, you know, one of the pieces that I wrote was evaluating college national championship quarterbacks and how they did in the NFL. And at the time, you know, it, it's gotten a bit better for them since then, but at the time, um, you know, only one of them had made the playoffs and it was Greg McElroy. Like that doesn't even count. And so, um, you know, I wrote about that and, and I just continued writing about stuff that like really bothered me about sports analysis. And then somebody at the Daily Norseman where I was writing these fan posts was like, hey, this is actually pretty good stuff. We'll put you on the front page, which wasn't a paid position at the time, but, you know, made me think I don't I might have something here. I don't know. So I applied to the Bleach Report back then. You could apply and, and you could write about a specific team. And I wrote about the Minnesota Vikings I performed really well there. And I was still working in politics at the time, but I was producing one or two articles. A week. Remember, I'm doing 80 hours a week in politics and right. then I'm coming home and I'm writing some random article um, about like Christian Ponder. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so so, uh, you know, I, I end up writing a piece and I ended up doing pretty well. At the Bleach Report. I'm like, hey, this might be a thing. Right. And so I ended up earning a little bit of money from the Bleach Report. I quit my job in politics. I start earning some money on the side as like a debate coach and as a political consultant, um, which is not a full-time job. And so I could control my time. Um, and that kind of led me down the path of saying, Hey, maybe I could do this. Somebody offered me their blog as the editor in chief. I could earn all the ad revenue. And from there, which was Viking territory, I'm, I'm forever grateful to Adam Warloss for doing that for me. Um, and from there, I just kind of was able to grow my brand. My Twitter following grew a lot. A lot of people started reading my articles. I could market myself to places. I pitched freelance stuff. Um, and I ended up getting a, a job. And so it was really very gradual process. And it never occurred to me that I could do this as a job until somebody told me outright, hey, you could do this as a job. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is a job that people have, isn't it? Yeah, I could do that. So it was right. kind of how it happened. It, it was really late in my career. I just knew that I couldn't be doing politics for any longer. So let's let's get like a little more intimate question here. What's in your YouTube playlist? I know you got like some beard uh beard videos, you got some uh <laughs> little manscape, little uh right, little how to keep your head bald, like you got some of that going on. You got uh 
yeah your so, cousin highlights well what's what's in your youtube playlist not a ton of football stuff on my youtube playlist honestly uh i i get i get my fellow youtube uh my, my fellow <laughs> football um i watch youtube a ton it is my primary form of entertainment i don't do a bunch of netflix hulu or hbo or anything like that i mean i will i will watch a show like i you know i made sure to watch ted lasso i'm probably gonna Great end up making time for euphoria yeah but you know for the most part i'm not scrolling netflix i'm scrolling youtube um, I love food YouTube. So binging with Babish is really great. Food Wishes is really fantastic. Uh, Serious Eats is really incredible. Um, I, I, I do a lot of tech YouTube. So like computers and stuff like that. So Gamers Nexus, Linus Tech Tips, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, I do a lot of politics YouTube. That shouldn't be a huge surprise. I'm still very interested in stuff like that. Um, sometimes through like video essays, like H Bomber Guy, uh, Sean, um, they do political video essays, which are really nice. And then also media video essays from like Sarah Z, um and and other media commentators that i think are really good um so yeah it's 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 a wide variety of things you know food politics media analysis um you know just random video essays like yeah why why is this like this sort of stuff mm. um and uh you know in just some random channels like the lock picking lawyer they're like two minute videos where he just picks locks i love it <laughs> He's just good at picking locks. That's it. Sometimes locksmiths get mad at him and send him a lock. They're like, hey, I bet you can't pick this. And he does it. I don't know why. I've watched like a hundred of his videos, man. That's funny. <laughs> so I have so to yeah, catch up on that. Like that. Yeah. That's a, that's I, a great I, list, man. That's a really great list. I mean, I can I can sit, look at mine. Mine's a lot of uh, the Vipercast videos because someone has to watch this. And then it's a little <laughs> bit of Peppa Pig in there, a little Mr. Beast. I mean, it's like a communal uh youtube playlist the kids get a hold of it really messes with the algorithm i hope no one like ever tries to understand me as a person by looking at my youtube playlist because <laughs> it will throw you completely off <laughs> now you can we've talked about politics here a little bit and that's something maybe a lot of people don't understand that background of you what are some other things that maybe maybe people that are watching this don't realize something about yourself that you want to share with them like that me people don't know about yet I'm pretty open, right? So I talk a lot about kind of my background and my history. So um, yeah, I talk a lot about politics. Um, I talk I talk a little bit about the music I'm into. I'm super into like 90s alt rock and stuff like that, like Third Eye Blind and and like uh, yeah, and the pop punk stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, Blink-182 and Green Day. Um, so there's like, there's a bunch of that, right? Um, yeah, I have a speech and debate background. I talk a lot about that. You know, debate has been really formative for me. Um, it's the reason I dropped out of college. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty open about a lot of that stuff. I mean, my politics are really radical compared to other people. So, uh, that sometimes people don't really get a sense. Like, you know, they, they know that, you know, I've, I've taken a side, right. But they don't know kind of that. I haven't really, I, I hate both parties from one end of the political spectrum. Uh, and, and that my political views are not necessarily mainstream. Um, so you kind of have to pick up on that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of it. Like I used to be super into, you know, doing lobbying work and electoral stuff. And I still think that that stuff can be very important, but just in terms of helping people, I think that, um, you know, your politics can exist outside of, uh, you know, voting for the right person, right. You know, you're doing good in your community and stuff like that. So real, real uh, quick, real quick question before you go too far on that, something yeah. really like, like sparked when you said, uh, the politics thing, um, what, what do you think about the whole politics and sports thing like people say they don't want sports in their politics and stuff like that or vice versa what what are your thoughts on that i think that everything is political right yeah. i think that i think that po all politics are is how we negotiate how society should operate whether right. that's through norms or morals or laws or whatever laws are just rules 
that the cops follow, right? And <laughs> sometimes maybe they don't, right? Um, but you know that laws are just like uh, laws are just rules of, of behavior that are enforced, you know, with violence, right? And you know that's just that's just how a law works. If you don't do it, you get fined, and if you don't pay a fine, you go to jail. That's violence, right? That's normal. All politics is violence, and all our social norms are are negotiated between us in terms of like the way that we operate. Well, what are sports? They're a product of society, and they're they're a product of the things that we care about in, in particular in society. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, sports teach, you know, you know, young people, these values, right. You know, they, they teach us the importance of teamwork or the importance of ambition or the importance of hard work. All of that is true. And those are values that we hold. Sometimes those values come in conflict with each other, right? What, what, what happens when ambition and teamwork come in conflict with each other in some sports, it doesn't matter. Like in tennis, not a huge thing, football, mm -hmm. an enormous thing, right? Basketball, somewhere in the middle, right? And, and so you always have to negotiate these values. Well, you can't keep sports and society apart. And, and people are products of their society. And those people also are sometimes athletes. And so athletes come from different social backgrounds. And so they kind of have to negotiate that. And they'll have different values. And that is one of the things that makes teamwork really important, is knowing that a bunch of people have different values and figure out a way to negotiate those differences in order to succeed at a common goal. Now, sometimes those values are so important to them that, and I think that this is fine, that it takes a priority over the goal that you have as a team. Again, I think that that's fine because things are more important than sports. And so when you have somebody who's a product of their environment that sees something wrong in society and they have a platform, I think it is ridiculous to think that they wouldn't use it. So I, I think everything is political. And I think that the way that we see the world is, in terms of um, how we operate is is really the way that we should think about politics, how we negotiate how society should operate. And if a microcosm of society isn't political, then nothing is. Oh, man, that is a perfect answer, dude. That was the best answer I've ever heard. Um, I agree with you 1000%. Um, what, like changing like direction just a little bit, what, what are some of the more memorable uh, interviews or podcasts you, you've had? My favorite interview was with Alan Page, uh, former defensive tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. I've Personally, I think Legend. he's the best defensive tackle yeah. of all time. But the most important thing about him is not that he played football. He ended up becoming a Supreme Court justice, the state Supreme Court justice for the state of Minnesota. Um, yeah, remarkable human, incredible person. Um, ran marathons while he was a football player and then attended law school while he was a football player, earned a Juris Doctorate and worked his way up the legal chain after he left football and made it important for him to, to value things like justice and equality and fairness. And one of the things that he has in his office, or he's retired, but you know, one of the things that he had in his office um, were a bunch of relics of the Jim Crow era to remind him of the importance of law, both in terms of the good it can do, you know, repealing segregation and the harm it can do, you know, like segregation. Uh, and so I, the ability to talk to him about the arc of his career, about so many things that I'm interested in, about the values that we share was really remarkable. I ended up having a 40 minute conversation with him about how are you so good at football, man? You've got more sacks than any other defensive tackle in history. Right. And that, that seems important. Right. And then, uh, how did you become not just a, a, a good lawyer, but like a history breaking lawyer, somebody who rose to the, the highest, uh, you know, echelon of law in the state of Minnesota and someone who's so impactful that they're, legal interpretation of their decisions changed the way 
that law operates in the way that we behave. Right. And then he, he he started this foundation, the Alan Page Education Foundation, because he thinks education is the way that you can overcome uh, a lot of the social problems that we have. And I talked to him about that and the importance of that. So that was my favorite interview, talking to him about all of that. Um, so that's up there. Um, I've had really good conversations with players like Eric Hendricks about, you know, both in terms of football and in terms of the uh, the, the 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 good work that, that he does off the field. He works with, um, you know, uh, people who are uh, coming out of juvenile detention, you know, that there's not a ton of resources for those kids. Uh, and so making sure that they don't find themselves back in the prison of pipeline. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, talking to football players about the stuff that matters to them. And sometimes that's football. Talking to Jared Allen about football is some of the best stuff you could ever do. That is fun as hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like Jared Allen cares a lot about stuff like off the field. He does a lot for like veterans. He builds homes for, um, you know, disabled veterans. He does really good stuff, right? But he is very passionate about football. And so if you ask him any football question, he'll just go. So I love talking about, to, to players about stuff that they're passionate about. Um, and so those are like, the, maybe those three players are probably the most passionate players that I've talked to in, in some of the best interviews I've had. So that kind of goes into my, that leads into my second question. Have you had an interview you went in thinking of players one way and left the interview thinking like, oh, this is a totally different, you know, it's a good or bad, you know? Right. Um, former Minnesota Vikings offensive tackle, TJ Clemmings, who, um, has since then has had some, some issues, um, uh, off the field, not, not, you know, he hasn't hurt anybody, um, but just had some personal struggles of his own, but, um, the watching him on film for Pitt, you know, he was a pretty mean player, right. Which is why a lot of people rejected him as a first or second round player, a foot injury dropped him all the way down to the fourth round. He was a remarkably aggressive player in a good way. Right. And you talk to him and he was uh, extremely thoughtful and deliberate and um, soft-spoken uh, and went out of his way to make sure that he was always picking the right words. Mm. Um, not because he was concerned about, you know, getting clipped in a soundbite or anything like that, making sure that he was going to get caught, but because he never wanted to say something that he didn't think was true, kind of in the same way that I'm talking about my writing. Um, and so he always made sure to answer every question very deliberately and thoughtfully. And I thought that that was like a, a really kind of eye opening because it was, I was pretty early in my sports writing career. So that was a really eye opening experience about the way a player plays on the field and the way that they act off the field sometimes can be completely different and sometimes in very positive or negative ways. Mm. You're mute, yeah, man. I almost forgot. I almost forgot <laughs> to take myself off mute there before I started talking. Man, I, I think we've, uh, I think maybe we found ourselves a little bit of a, an end with some Minnesota Vikings players for future podcasts. Uh, there you go. But in, all, in all seriousness, how hard was it not to talk about to Alan Page about Jim Marshall running the other way? And this is probably oh why I'm not gosh. allowed to talk to players. Oh like, my gosh, was that like? Is it hard not to bring something up like that, or is it, is that one of those things like I should talk about it, but I don't want to even ask this question because. Even after 55, 60 years, this may still be one of those. Right. Oh. It was, it's a, it's, it's, it's always in the back of your mind when you're talking to like a purple people eater. I was also talking to, um, uh, gosh, it was Gary Larson, I think, um, it was the mm -hmm. nose tackle among the purple people eaters. And, and, and it, it's just, it's in the back of your mind, right? <laughs> like, you just like, hey, do you see him run the wrong way? Like, what, what were you thinking when it happened? Right. <laughs> um, and, and for me, the important thing was like, what story am I trying to write? And so I, I always wanted to ask what if I came out of an interview not having asked enough questions to be able to write my story, I mean that interview is just a failure, right? 
And so my own fear of failure is why I didn't ask that question, but I was dying to know kind of, you know, what that was like. And the thing is like every so often, you know, the Vikings will trot out, you know, the top 50 players of all time. And Jim Marshall is on that list. And so sometimes you get some conversations with play with players that played with him or him himself, or, you know, like Fran Tarkenton, you know, um, and, uh, and somebody in the media might ask Jim Marshall this question. And I, I'm always like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> right there, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it's our job to ask tough questions, but like, this is asking somebody about the most embarrassing moment of their life, like 40 years after the fact, 60 years after the fact, right. which is a little bit different than like asking Mike Zimmer why he didn't call the timeout. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, and, and he's been like very graceful about it and stuff like that. He doesn't get mad at people who ask the question, but like, it is something that like, like, but like, wh what did you think though? Like, were you mad? Did you punch him? What happened? So <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's, it's tough, but I, my own fear of failure, not being able to write the piece that I want to write is kind of what drives me there. I love those answers there because all your interviews was about going in deeper, not just about football. I mean, you could talk football. That's great. I mean, behind the grind, this series that we're doing here right now, getting to know the analysts, the NFL players past and, uh, Current, present, and, yeah, <laughs> present as well. I mean, and talking about uh, members of the media, it's about going deeper. It's about finding those other topics of conversation, finding some, having some fun while doing it. But we like everyone's got that story. Everyone is more than what you are accustomed to seeing. I mean, whoever that might be, you might see him at the athletic, Arif Hassan. We might see you as a sports writer, but you're so much more. We've talked politics and gone deeper, and that's what this series is truly about getting a better understanding of each and every uh, person who comes on the show here. Uh, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, let's say politics was not an answer because 80 hours a week, just that ain't right, man. That, that doesn't sound like fun Impossible. at all. I don't, I don't even like watching my kids for 80 hours a week. <laughs> um, if you weren't doing that, what would you be doing right now? Uh, that with, one, with none of those, with none of those uh, diplomas that you got out of college. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, my, my zero degrees. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I could always, you know, See if Starbucks will have me. No, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking about coffee. I mean, I've got like this 200 milligram caffeine energy drink, right? Yeah. You've got your coffee. So uh, I could always do that. But I've thought about it, not because I want to leave the industry, but I'm always like concerned, like, hey, a lot of layoffs happening. What if I'm next? What do I do? And if I can't get back into sports, you know, what happens, right? Um, and so uh, I've thought about it. And honestly, you know, I mentioned how much I love YouTube. I might, you know, start doing YouTube stuff. I mean, I've talked to Brett Coleman. I don't know if you've had the chance to have him on, but certainly ask him if you do. And he's a really engaging guy. Um, but he's really successful on YouTube, breaking down football. Um, and I don't know if that's what I would do right on YouTube. Um, but you know, that's something that, that has come up, you know, in terms of like what I think I might be, might have to do or might want to do. Um, if I have to leave writing for whatever reason, um, is, is create YouTube videos. I'm a very basic video editor, but I do know how to edit videos. I do know how to, I've got a pretty decent recording setup. This is actually our second one. My basement flooded. So I wasn't able to, uh, to, to show my, my actual recording setup, but that's, it's actually a pretty good recording setup and I'd be able to do that. Or if I'm not doing football, I might be able to do YouTube analysis in the same way of those YouTube personalities that I just talked about, like Sean and H bomber guy and a bunch of other people that I end up watching, you know, that, that, that I really like. Um, so uh, I, I would I would see if I can kind of bring all these things together. Like one interesting thing, like a really good um, uh, a YouTube video essayist, FD Signifier, has done a couple of, of media analysis things on 
sports and race and politics in movies right mm. which is actually there's a huge number of like movies that you can break that down with and, and his videos are really good so i could find ways to mix all my interests in, in what i think I, or i hope are, are really engaging things and kind of bring back in you know stuff that i really like like media analysis and politics and still talk about sports in, in an engaging way so i think i would still remain a content creator and uh, youtube never asks you for your degree so that helps. <laughs> you got one subscriber here man i'm subscribing to that <laughs> What what have you learned through all your years of covering sports in the media? And maybe more importantly, what has what has it all taught you about yourself? Oh man. Um, I think so. One thing that you learn in debate is to adopt the position of the person you're disagreeing with to better understand kind of what's happening, right? To better understand. And and I mean this from a winning perspective. I don't mean like, you know, to be a better person or to be more educated. In order to win debates, you have to know why why your opponent thinks what they do it turns out it helps you become a more educated person and a more thoughtful person that is a side effect right but um that was something that i thought i could bring in and i i, I feel like i have but because everybody in debate comes from very similar backgrounds or at least has a very similar viewpoint of the world it was much easier for me to do that and with a more diverse crowd in terms of the backgrounds that they provide um it was more difficult for me to understand the experiences a lot of people had coming in growing up and not just, you know, things like race and, and social class, but like literally the music that they listened to, I just wouldn't have listened to. Right. And so if they make a reference to a piece of music, I'm just like, yeah, I don't listen to country, man. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Right. And so the ability to kind of empathize and adopt where people are coming from, even if it has nothing to do with the story you're writing, nothing at all. Right. You have to understand why they say the things that they say and and make sure that you understand the context of what they're trying to get at when they're talking to you. Because in some contexts, uh, something that they say could be very explosive and you could tweet out that clip of what they said and 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 have it go viral and cast them in, in a bad light in a way that they did not intend because they said it in a way that you know most people would understand to take it one way, but you know in your head, because you're empathizing with them and you understand kind of what their background is, where they're coming from, that they meant something else. And so that's something that I learned is that empathy means more than understanding just like the argument that somebody is making and why they're saying it. It means where they're coming from when they say it. And so that I think has been really important to me is trying to figure, and it's made me much better, like interview, question asker. Uh, it, it makes me better at pressers. It makes me understand kind of what people want to talk about, don't want to talk about. And like even learning how to sequence questions, right? Asking the questions that are really uncomfortable near the end of the presser so they don't clam up and not give you answers to the easier questions that you're going to ask later. Ask the easier questions first, ask the tougher questions later. Make sure you ask the tougher questions because that's your job. But, you know, making sure you can get as much information as possible. You know, it kind of depends on the person and make sure you develop a strong relationship with them. Man, great answer. Um, Perfect segue right there. You know, um, so this part of the show I love It's like where you get to give a shout out to pretty much any and everyone who helped you um, doing your career or helping you out in your career. Um, who are some of the people that helped you out? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I mentioned Adam Warwas, who uh, no longer is a, a Vikings blogger, but ran uh, the website VikingsTerritory.com. 
uh, and just gave the website to me for me to be able to run. I wouldn't be able to do this without him. So, you know, absolutely thanks to him. Um, big shout out to Tom Schreier, who ran Zone Coverage, the um, website that hired me right after uh, Vikings Territory. Big shout out to my colleague, Sam Ekstrom, uh, who helped me learn about more traditional reporting because I was blogging on my own, right? I just, I did not know um, how to be a journalist in the same way. I was picking it up by watching other journalists, but Sam Ekstrom, you know, really taught me how to like write like a reporter. And that was really cool. Um, he's still, um, he's with Purple Insider now. So he's still covering the Vikings. He does really excellent stuff. Um, absolutely shout out to the entire Daily Norseman team. They're the first people to kind of recognize that this is something I'd be able to do. Um, so that means Chris Gates, who runs the website. That means Eric Thompson, who does a lot of writing for them. Ted Glover, um, who was doing a lot of work for them. They took me under their wing and helped me out a lot there. Um, so they were the very first people. So absolutely shout out to them. Uh, and of course, you know, my, my current group, my team at The Athletic, my first editor, Zach Pierce, has done a really wonderful job um, developing my writing skill. Chad Graff has taught me a lot about what it means to cover a team from a professional perspective as a colleague, for sure. I think that he's done a really excellent job. Um, I think Lisa Wilson, the national editor at The Athletic, does a great job. My current editor, Adam Hirschfield, has helped me out a lot. So those are the people that have been really remarkable to me, helped me a lot in terms of my career. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that what I provide back to them or to other people is a fraction of what they've been able to give for me. Nice. And um, I've, you've been giving some great advice this whole show, but um, give some advice for those of us trying to make it in this industry. Well, it, it kind of depends on the medium that you're breaking into, right? So if you want to be a video producer or a podcaster, the advice is a little bit different than if you're trying to be a sports writer. But I think that um, my advice would be to write and read as much as possible or, or, or podcast or video produce and, and watch as much as possible, listen as much as possible. And I don't necessarily just mean within the genre that you're writing or reading in. I mean, everything. Um, so in, so my writing has improved because I'm reading, you know, these, these young adult apocalyptic novels that most of them aren't even that good anyway. Right. I'm reading history books. I'm reading, you know, these, uh, books on, uh, you know, like anthropology. I'm reading like these fiction books. I'm reading a uh, really good sports writing over at the ringer and at the athletic and it, you know, the, the stuff at Grantland was really nice. Um, I'm reading like these football deep dives, the stuff like the art of smart football by, by Chris Brown, but I'm also making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm like watching movies and TV shows and having fun and also knowing what people are talking about, right. And having kind of a cultural background to be able to kind of do my job, consuming as much as I can, not to be a media consumer, but to learn what makes people tick. You know, I've become a better writer because I watch media analysis videos on how stories are written, how character arcs are done and how, mm. you know, they're set up and payoffs. So I would say, you know, consume as much of the media uh, that you're in, that you're the environment that you're in as possible, but that doesn't mean within the genre. If you're going to be a podcaster, I think listening to really great podcasts like 99% Invisible uh, with Roman Mars, I think that that's going to be a great podcast to learn from. Uh, some of these uh, politics or news or current events podcasts will help you. Some of the obviously football podcasts would be pretty big. Uh, gambling podcasts to see kind of how they approach things from another direction. Um, so I, I think that listening to a, a diverse range or, or consuming a diverse range of media is going to be really important. It's going to make your writing stand out because only you have your background. If you're consuming only football content, so are a bunch of other people. And mm. your football content is probably not going to stand out. If you're making a metaphor, the only metaphors that you can make are the ones that people have already made. Um, <laughs> exactly. So if you're if you're reading like really like if you even if you're reading like bad YA, right, young adult apocalyptic novels or even good YA, like if you're reading The Hunger Games, right, um, you can make a reference to The Hunger Games in a piece that you're writing. Or you can at least think like if the book made you think, you can think about something in a different way. But if you're only reading about football 
from a bunch of people who've only read about football and your analogies are about baseball, like that's boring. Stop. Read other stuff, right? And and figure out kind of what people are talking about and develop a unique writing style by being the only you that there is. What if what if you're reading about YA Tittle? Hmm? I, I mean that's important. That's important. Great yeah, photo, I, great photo. I, was just sticking, I was just sticking with the YA theme here. Come on now. <laughs> he, just, he was so he just he gave ready. like a he million dollars worth of advice and then you just poo-pooed all over it. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. New York Giants, great YA tittle. <laughs> I just try to wrap everything back up in a nice little bow. That being said, hey, we're push, pushing pushing 90 minutes here right now. Uh, uncut, non-stop. <laughs> podcast gold here i mean there's not even like that dead air that kind of like oh man what's coming out next because nine times out of ten i don't even know what's coming out next but hey we're gonna get we're gonna start wrapping this up here and if you want to check out more major at way too major ff on the twitter machine he's doing some spaces kind of stuff there and every sunday during the football season over at fantasy points him and nick script are doing a little bit of a prop betting type sunday morning type show you're going to want to get on that and arif you got to check him out here on the Twitter. Just how it sounds right now. Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan on Twitter. A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L on the Twitter machine. And the one thing we haven't really talked about, we know he's at The Athletic. We know all this other stuff. You can also catch the at Wide Left podcast. I think that's still a thing there. Political takes. You want to go deeper. You want that more information. And you don't want me to interrupt it with some YA tittle comment. <laughs> Head over there right now. Catch some of those podcasts. Uh, did I miss you, anything? Arif, did I miss I anything you, you want to kind of throw there? No, you got it. All right. Now the moment that Major's been waiting for. It is time for my outro. And I'll keep it simple because I, I don't want to wreck the entire show that I had all these deep conversations because, you know, I, I'm not deep at all. But I've got some advice here as well that I kind of picked up here. And I, I bit my tongue for a good portion of the show. I'll, I'll share some comments a little after. But some of the things I kind of quickly come to here. Uh, you talk about your debate history. I, I've got a bit of a debate history myself, and I've learned a thing or two. The first thing I've learned is never argue with an idiot because they will bring you down to their level and then beat you with experience. I know because I am undefeated. <laughs> and the second thing before we head off, we talked about the Minnesota Vikings. So I'm going to kind of wrap this up with a little bit of a one of Major's favorite type of things, dad jokes here. If you are yeah. pondering a career in politics, don't. See you next week.